0: Jess, I don't know if you listened to our Billingsgate episode, but I was curious if you are familiar with Francis Grose.
1: I actually, I had to double check my notes here, but one of the words that I intend to talk about today was initially cited by Francis Grose. The definition is definitely editorialized because dictionaries (laughs) like from their very like inception were more art than science in many cases. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Much like language (laughs) itself. (laughs) Amazing.
2: But I mean, that kind of makes, you know, history fun too, is that oh, it's yeah. like, all right, well, who knows? It's like a movie <laughs> in the past. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Butter No Parsnips. Every week on Butter No Parsnips, your hosts Kyle Imperator and Emily Moyers take you on an adventure through the weird, wacky, wonderful, and sometimes even wicked world of one wayside word. Strange characters, delightful bits, and general joyousness abound. Join them as they test each
0: other's etymological expertise. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Butter No Parsnips, you guys. I'm Emily. I'm Kyle. Kyle, this is interesting. As I understand Mm -hmm. it, neither you nor I have a word today. Um,
2: yes, we do, Emily.
0: What do you... Do do we?
2: Uh, yeah, Emily. Our word today is Jess
0: Zafaris. Oh, I think I know this word, actually. I I hope so. Jess Zafaris, that is the author of the book's Once Upon a Word, a word origin dictionary for kids, and the yet-to-be-released Words from Hell. Right so far. Also the creator of uselessetymology.com and its TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram, which is a collection of editorialized word histories by I- Zafaris herself. Oh, Emily, you're so close! Oh, what am I forgetting? What am I forgetting? Oh my gosh! And she's the guest on No Parsnips today! You got it! <laughs> Hey, Jess, we're gonna pretend you just walked in. Thanks so much for being here today. <laughs> How'd you get in my room? <laughs> wow,
1: this is just a gorgeous place. Uh, hello, and what thank is- you for having me. I've been, as you as you you noted my resume already, but like I've been writing about word origins and, and whatnot and making a variety of other content about etymology for like 12 years now. Um, wow. So I'm really delighted to be here to talk about all kinds of nonsense.
2: Yeah, oh, we're so, so cool. delighted to have you. Nonsense is our forte, so we're, yes. we're we're
0: really happy to have you on here. And now uh, we have a professional in nonsense.
2: Jess, yeah. <laughs> before we get to what you have for us this episode, we'd love to talk with you about your word origin dictionary for kids, Once Upon a Word, which is just a lovely book.
0: So delightful. It
2: really is so great. I read it and Like, as, uh, you know, as it was getting to the word part, I was like, oh, my God, me as a kid would have been going crazy with a book like this. I would have (laughs) taken that chart and I would have made every combination of words known (laughs) to man possible, whether it made sense or not. So what got you interested in etymology? Is that something that you started to get into as a kid or... So
1: I've always been a big book and word nerd. And like, even like back in the earliest days of my youth, <laughs> I read so much older fiction. I would get into to things that were not, you know, particularly marketed as YA folks. I was into to Dickens and and into studying Beowulf and such. I kind of approached book publishing backwards. I, I got into like the the actual study of etymology in my undergrad. I uh I studied English literature, anthropology, and, and actually a dash of Arabic, but my English language or language, English literature studies were focused on the development of the English language in literature. So I started writing about this just in my spare time. I started sure. writing a blog called Useless etymology a publisher found me this was callisto media and said would you like to write a children's book which was hilarious at the time because pretty much everything i had ever written about etymology was slightly inappropriate and definitely <laughs> irreverent so i was like are you sure that you want me to write this And they were like, yes, actually we do. So um, I did that. And I I found it was a great exercise, actually, because the understanding word origins can inspire curiosity from such a young age, which I think is incredibly important because it teaches kids critical thinking, encourages them to look up words they don't know, and inspires them to wield their words with greater intention, not to mention getting Creative with roots and word elements, and creating their own words. I had a French teacher in high school, in particular, who like lit into me one time for not looking up a word that came up in my like homework. Oh my gosh! And she yeah. was like, "You have a dictionary. Why didn't you look this up?" And I'm like, "Okay, okay, I'm scared of doing this forever." It
0: um, <laughs> really was sticks with you like that. Oh yeah, yeah of right. Course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, but no, it's super inspiring in a frightening kind of way. Um, so I kept doing this for a long time, and uh, I, I had been on several other word nerd podcasts talking about like middle English. And it turns out one of the producers of those worked for Chambers Dictionary and John Murray Press. And those, that's where my next two books are coming from. So I've got Words from Hell, which is properly irreverent and includes all the <laughs> outtakes from the kids' book that my last editor wouldn't let Perfect. me put in.
2: <laughs> Why are you so interested in irreverent language in particular?
1: You know, I think it's just, it's such a building block of the way we interact with the world in, in every way. Like you can study any topic in the world via etymology. You can explore science, you can explore art, you can explore history, and you yeah. learn so much about intention and structure and language and why we behave certain ways and and the development of humanity through the way we have spoken through the years.
2: Yeah, it's, Mm -hmm. it's really a fascinating thing because it's it seems so abstract you know it, when you're just thinking of it at, at a surface level but then once you start to actually understand how this evolves through people and 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 time and cultures it's kind of amazing how much you can understand about life today
1: absolutely it's the way we it's the way we describe our surroundings and the way we communicate those to other people and we literally build fictional worlds full of them and are able to transport other people into them just through these made-up things that our mouths yeah. do. Yeah, <laughs>
2: just just noises that we agree mean one thing <laughs> right, yeah. or a million things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things that struck me as fascinating reading through Once Upon a Word was how you chose certain words for the dictionary. You know, sometimes there's, you know, kind of really important words that a kid should know. And then some of them are words that are just really fun, like scuttlebutt, I think was one of them. What is your process for choosing words to include in something like this? I love
1: scuttlebutt. It's the original like water cooler talk. It's so good. I love that. Like we've had a word for like gossip nonsense based on like literally standing by a water cooler as far back as like the golden age of pirates.
0: It's so good.
1: (laughs) But no, I mean, the way my blog started was like it would start with, "Huh, that's a funny word. I wonder why it means that." Or, "Huh, that Mm -hmm. sounds like it's related to this other Latin-derived word. I wonder why." When those words seem very different, and from there, I'll like I'll start with a quick reference book like a Chambers or something along those lines, and then you take those little bread crumbs you find there, and then find the original locations of those phrases, the unexpected connections, the humorous quirks. And that's what the publisher wanted out of that book. So that's why you find a lot of like, just my general favorites in there. Sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we're doing this to entertain ourselves first, right? (laughs) Exactly, right.
1: I was like, I'm writing my book, and hopefully children enjoy it.
0: (laughs) And so that book is all the kid-friendly, kid-inspired stuff. But... I think it's something we know pretty well on this show from Billingsgate and from our Patreon episode about slang, and from just having been, you know, stuck in traffic at some point in our lives, that there mm-hmm. are words for adults, too. So that is why we introduce to you now, and you introduce to us Sex, Lies, and Insults with Jess Ferris.
2: Sex, Lies, and Insults with Jess Ferris. <laughs> All right, here we are in the seedy, word-themed dive bar called No Parsnips. And Jess, you've approached us with a trench coat full of your bootleg wares. Ah. Ah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, what would you like first, sex, lies, or insults? Oh,
0: gosh,
2: it's... It's such a hard question to answer.
0: I feel like we should go for insults first, just so that you know Jess can insult us right at the top, and we can only go up from there. Yeah, after that we can like
2: start to feel better about ourselves.
1: Yeah. (laughs) All right, all right, we can do that. That's that's very doable. So the the first thing, in fact, I will start with is just like it's even one of my least favorite insults because it doesn't pack much punch anymore. But because of its structure and its suffix, it is such a rich and delicious start to this conversation. And I would like to introduce you to the word bastard.
0: Oh, Ooh.
1: So the word has a lot to unpack. And, and that is very literal. That phrasing is literal for reasons okay. you will understand in a moment. Ooh. The point I'm getting at here is the ending, the A-R-D ending. In most sure. cases- like ARD or ART is used to intensify a word. you could say it means like very or too much. So for example, a drunkard is someone who drinks too much or gets drunk very often. A wizard is someone who is very wise, or even too wise. In this case, it's it's not an insult. You will note, oh, but in sure. most cases, in most cases, it is like a braggart, someone who brags too much. A dullard is someone who is too dull or very stupid. So you can use wow. this to create all kinds of exciting insults. In fact, the word mustard is the same as the word like musty, but what? mustard implies something that is very pungent or intensely musty.
0: Oh my gosh! This I would crazy. never have drawn that connection. I've, I've never connected any of these words before (laughs) fascinating
2: (laughs) oh wow i assume that's what wizards have for lunch too oh yeah of course yeah you you
0: must yeah um literally must
1: (laughs) (laughs) coward is another one it's it's a it doesn't quite fit because you would think that it would be like someone who cowers too much but it may also be from a latin word for like a tail implying someone who tucks their tail like a dog either way it's an intensification of of frightened behavior. Wow. You'll notice that many of these words end up having negative implications because of that intensity. Um, so they tend to make derogatory and pejorative words. And that's the case with bastard. The old French "fidebast" de bast means pack, settle, son. So saddles and horse blankets doubled as beds while you were traveling. So a fidebast de bast was someone who was conceived while a man usually was traveling away from home with uh. a woman who wasn't his wife on his pack saddle.
2: Wow. Right? Wow. So is the ARD ending, is that a French ending or is that an English ending added to a French word there?
1: It is typically, it, it, the ending itself is French and Latin derived, but it is often stuck onto Germanic words, typically in Middle English. So that's where you get like drunkard and braggart and dullard. Right. Those came around around that time.
2: That's really interesting.
1: Yeah. I
0: mean, we're like three minutes in and you've already blown my mind. <laughs>
1: <So>. <laughs> Let's see. So other other insults. Do you want to do villain and naughty?
0: Oh, the words villain and
2: naughty? Yeah. They oh, come okay. With, yes.
1: They come with a bunch of classism in it. It's great. Okay. Oh. So, um, you probably know that the word "not" means nothing, right? Yeah, sure. So, yeah. by that logic, the word "naughty" would mean nothingy. Yeah, which is actually very true. Um, <laughs>
2: sure, huh. um,
1: In fact, "not." It's funny. It's a it's a contraction of an old English term meaning like "no white," and the word "white" in this case means creature or thing. So, not was a contraction meaning no thing or literally nothing. In the 14th century, the word naughty was more literal. It meant needy when describing someone who literally had nothing. Um, And around that time, it was also used as a word for an evil act, likely based on the idea of someone who is evil, lacking in goodness and morality. There was a lot of like religious tie-ins to like you have nothing, therefore you're morally corrupt or maybe you're just plain morally bankrupt And therefore you, you, you are naughty. And there's plenty of class bias infused into this as well, based on the assumption that someone who has nothing is prone to criminal acts or somehow has even earned an impoverished lot in life because they are morally undeserving. We also see something similar with the use of the word basic as a negative judgment, even today, like it's not specifically classist, but it is diminishing based on behavior. And the word ordinary in the past has also kind of done that in English. Similarly, Mm -hmm. villain was originally simply a word for a peasant or a poor farmer in French. It's from the Latin villanus, meaning farmhand, which comes from the word villa, as in like a country house. Sure, yeah. Right. So if you're a villain, you're a person from a country house, which sounds great now, like an Italian country house, so posh. But back in the day, it was like you lived on a dirty farm and it evolved to mean the bad guy because people just started using it as a classist pejorative. It was sort of the, the way of calling somebody trashy and low class and backwoodsy
2: feel like the villain from the villa is like a new agatha christie novel, (laughs) you know ghost written novel (laughs) oh so good
0: is that the (laughs) meaning that it had during like shakespeare's time like all those shakespeare plays when people are calling people a villain
1: That was absolutely the transitional period, like in in Middle English or or, or after the introduction of of Norman French, which developed into Middle English, you got all these Latin and French words flowing into English. And and initially, like by the time it entered English, it had already kind of pulled in some of that sense. In Latin, it was probably pulling in from like low class farmhands. And by the time Shakespeare started using it, like it definitely implied unpleasant behavior but perhaps sure. didn't have the same sense of like this is the villain of the story and the right. way that we use it now like antagonist
2: sure. wow i mean mm-hmm. it's i'm going to think twice now about using the word villain, <laughs> <laughs> considering its history yeah, I, might I don't know if i want to use pas. it more or less now <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
1: to be fair the only people you're likely to insult are like uh, roman farmhands so you may be safe
2: I actually am (laughs) friends with a lot of Roman (laughs) farmhands. Would you believe it?
1: I believe it. Uh, Well, excellent. I feel like we should pivot to, since I'm taking a while to describe these, maybe sex or lies. Do you have thoughts on our next journey?
2: I mean, you know, I hate to say... I can't say it. It's just an awful (laughs) thing. Let's go with sex. Excellent. Sex sounds
0: like fun. Let's all have sex. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Amazing.
2: So I'd like to
1: start with some fancy words for sexy things. I will name some of these words and I will see if you can guess what it means. And then we can dig further depending on how much you know.
0: Jess, this is our bread and butter. I'm so excited.
1: (laughs) All right. Okay. Have you heard the word bathacopian? Oh,
2: can you spell that?
1: B A T H U K O L P I A N though its spelling does vary
2: over the centuries. I've never heard of that word in my l- Have no. you heard of
0: that, Emily? No, and I'm trying to like break it down and I can't.
2: <laughs> I mean it must be somebody from Bathocalya.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely the planet sexy Bathicul- people. <laughs> Yeah. Excellent
1: guess. Honestly, I would live in Bathocalya um it, because this <laughs> word describes full luscious breasts. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> it literally means nice. deep bosomed and is composed of Greek elements badis and kolpos. And please excuse me because my Latin and Greek pronunciation is occasionally a bit off. But badis <laughs> means deep and kolpos means breast. I, I,
2: I have you come across this word in like daily usage Is, has somebody used this term <laughs> i I don't
1: typically you find this among like widely listed obscure and entertaining words for naughty things yeah. so it's sure, more, sure, of sure. A, more of a more of a venture than anything else but it's definitely been in use poetically and it's recorded in English at least as early as the 1500s
2: I'm sure there's wow. plenty of you know, romance novels oh, yeah. from like the 1800s, 1900s that <laughs> make good use of that word.
1: <laughs> Our next one is calipygean. Have you heard this word?
2: I definitely no. have heard this word. I don't, have you? I don't know. Yeah, I have, I have. I don't remember what it means at all though. Calipygean. Uh, um, cali, uh, oh, I'm, I'm trying to break it down into its parts and see if I well, can guess.
0: The, the pigeon the could be like small, like pygmy. Like
2: yeah, that's what I was thinking.
0: That's my only input. And then
2: <laughs> the calla is about, you know, r- writing. <laughs> How do you spell callipygian? Yeah.
1: It's spelled C A L L I P Y G I A N. The part you might actually recognize better is the is the Kalos element that that means beauty and the second mm-hmm. half of the word means rump or buttocks. So it means having beautiful buttocks. <laughs> wow. And uh, It was originally used to describe a particularly juicy assed statue of a woman (laughs) usually identified as Aphrodite called the Calipigian Venus.
0: So funny.
2: So it it was specifically used for a a statue, a piece of artwork, or I guess a, a depiction of that person.
1: Uh, yes, though the the elements of it also appear elsewhere. There is, and I'm oh my goodness, I'm blanking on it. There is a moon in particular that sh- shares a a root with shares that same root.
2: Calliope.
1: Calliope, that's it. Yes, hey. thank you. There we go. Wonderfully that's done. So smart.
2: Thanks. <laughs> Do I get a point for later,
0: for use later in the game? Yeah. <laughs> no, sorry. We start from scratch. <laughs> oh, no.
1: <laughs> anyway, this statue is fantastic. I highly encourage you to look up the Calipygian Venus because you will see like why she is particularly known for her bum. She's like lifting up her garment and revealing her shapely posterior. And and I, I have been told this I would need an art historian to fully confirm But at one point her head was knocked off. (laughs) Although she was revealing the bum already. But when they put the head back on, she she's looking a little bit more over her shoulder than she originally was. So So, like she's admiring her own bum, which is fantastic. Just a little more
0: coy about it. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) See what I get? Copper tone baby.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, so good. Um, okay, so this is where Francis Groves comes in. My third word for you. Oh,
0: Our good lovely. friend.
1: Mm-hmm. Rentalion.
2: Oh, I feel like I've heard this word. I must have heard this word. I never looked it up because I always thought, well, that's just rapscallion spelled differently. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> Truly. Can you spell it?
1: Yes, R-A-N-T-A-L-L-I-O-N. Rantallion, this thought. is a sexy word?
0: Mm-hmm. I, mean,
1: I never
2: would have guessed that.
1: You, you might find it unpleasantly sex-themed okay. rather than being sexy, but...
2: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Sexly, I
0: guess. Sex-adjacent, um, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> sex-adjacent. Well, oh. so we've had a word for... Beautiful breasts. We've had a word for beautiful. Yeah. Is this like (laughs) another body part?
1: So it is decidedly. Well, Okay, I'm, you know, I'm not going to kink shame, so I'm not going to say it's decidedly unsexy, but it doesn't sound super sexy to me. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. It's got
2: a different mouth feel than Mm. the others.
1: (laughs) Okay, so this one, first recorded in the 1785 Dictionary of the Vulgar Tongue by our friend Francis Mm Grose, is instead to mean one whose scrotum is so relaxed as to be longer than his penis, or, in Grose's words, someone whose shot pouch is longer than the barrel of his piece.
0: Oh, that's the thing about Francis Grose. He always has a really elegant way of putting things. (laughs)
2: Oh my gosh. I mean, wow. That is, I mean, it's, so descriptive that you know exactly what he's talking about but that might be the bad part about it you know (laughs) (laughs) like leaving nothing to the imagination it's just all right there Mm -hmm. wow the uh,
1: the origin of this word is unknown because most recorded references do just direct back to that dictionary but Mm -hmm. there are other similar words recorded earlier including the term rantipole which typically meant like a wild or rude person especially like a child but in the phrase to ride rantapole it specifically referred to the woman on top or cowgirl sex position
2: wow oh i don't know if i like that (laughs) etymological transition (laughs) that is incredible Mm -hmm. uh i I mean thank you francis gross i I guess in this one instance
1: Apparently, rantalian has been recorded um, more recently and may be connected to words like rant, which originally was a positive word. It, like to rant wasn't to like yell at someone angrily, but like to yell at someone boisterously. So rantalian could imply like big dick energy or it could imply so having good. a good loud time. Sure. And that rant relationship could also connect it towards like Randy, which is a variation on the pleasantly loud, jovial sense in yeah. uh, as in rant.
2: I mean, that's it's got so many connections there. That's really great.
0: Yeah, I I always forget that like D's and T's connect etymologically, and like V's mm-hmm. and U's. Like I feel like I I miss connections that are there because of letters that used to be the same <laughs> or interchangeable.
1: Usually, a-, a lot of times when it comes to like Latin-derived words, assimilation is to blame. Like the mm-hmm. prefix "ad," meaning "to," is found yeah. in so many words, but like you won't often find the "d" in it. In fact, I think the word assimilation includes it as well. Oh, it, was it like usually just turns into like a double word. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh,
2: like "adflatus," "adflatus," "adflatus" <laughs>
1: <laughs> turns into a flatus. Yes, I yeah. love it. I love it. So I have one more sexy word. You know this word, but it has a great story behind it.
0: Perfect. Oh, I'm so glad. This
1: one. Is unexpectedly sexy. Um, and it is the word furnace. Furnace? Yeah.
2: Like where you put your logs. A
1: hunt. Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> Kyle. No. Oh, I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> Kyle. Leave the sure? podcast. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <Kyle>. <laughs> so uh the word the word furnace comes from the Latin word furnace, which meant an oven or a kiln. But can you guess what like sexy word might be related to the word furnace that is also
0: figuratively uh-huh. hot? gotta be fornicate. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's
1: right. You got it. Both furnace and fornicate share a root meaning to heat or make warm. Funny enough, though, the word fornicate isn't from this root because sex is hot, at least not exclusively for that reason. It also has to do with architecture. The Latin fornix is a term for an arch or a vaulted opening or a covered walkway, and it's named as such due to its resemblance to the arch or dome shape of a traditional brick oven. And the part of your brain called the is is also called that because it's arch-shaped and it's got little columns and pillars, oh. which is kind of cool. But the Latin fornix was also a word for a brothel because under the arches of the Circus Maximus and other large event venues in Rome, those were popular places for prostitutes to hang out. And what does one do when one meets a person hanging out under a fornix for that reason? One fornicates.
2: Oh, fa- oh my gosh. That is incredible. And wow. this, was,
1: this was probably also a bit of a pun even in Latin because the idea Idea of sex being hot is a very old concept and Romans were extremely horny sure I,
0: absolutely in I fact
1: should. this one always gets people if you're fascinated by something you're you're like literally spellbound by it and it comes from the Latin word fascinare meaning um, to bewitch or to enchant but if you look a little bit farther back that Latin word is thought to be related to the word fascinum and fascinum is a word for a penis or a dildo. <laughs> oh no <laughs> and it referred specifically to the divine phallus a symbol that appears all over roman effigies and amulets and was meant to evoke the protection of a phallic god named Fascinus.
2: wow i i mean i this is such important news because now i feel like if i ever use the word fascinating again it has to be
0: purposeful yes we can. there is too much meaning behind it
1: yeah <laughs> You're using magic Roman penis powers on them. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I hate the idea of a divine phallus.
1: (laughs) By the way, if you have any doubt whatsoever, please Google the word Fascinum. That is F-A-C, sorry, F-A-S-C-I-N-U-M. And you will find endless Google image photos of little metal penises with wings and people riding on them like horses and all kinds of things. (laughs) Incredible.
0: Incredible. Love that. Well, Jess, is it time for lies? It is. It's time for lies. (laughs) Now (laughs) Now, that I've told you many truths. How can (laughs) we believe her from here on out? (laughs) Right. That's true. Who
1: knows? Who knows? One thing, this will be hard to believe. This was hard for me to believe. I had to double check. I had to look up original sources to, to be convinced that this was true. So we'll see. So you know how we have the word bride and we have the corresponding adjective form bridal. And yeah, and we have the word groom, but we don't typically use the word groomal. You're right.
2: I've only used it once and it probably wasn't in relation to a wedding.
1: (laughs) I mean, like you can use it. You're welcome to use that made up word. Like I'm not going to take that away from you. And language does change, but like it doesn't come up that often. And the reason we don't really have that word is because the adjective bridal has been lying about being an adjective for centuries.
2: (gasps) Oh no. Scandal. How dare they?
1: Right? (laughs) It looks for all intents and purposes as if it is the Old English derived word bride with the Latin and French derived adjective forming ending al on it, just like the word Mm -hmm. logical, which this is not. (laughs) But the truth is it doesn't actually have a suffix, or at least it didn't originally. Uh, Originally, it was a noun and a compound word. Before the 1200s, a bridal was a word for an event. It was a wedding feast and it was a contraction of the phrase bride ale.
0: Bride like
2: ale. Like like the drink ale?
1: Yes, like you would go to a bride ale. In fact, in old English, you could add ale onto other things, other events and turn them into parties too. You know, you could go out for your or birth ale or something like that. That's not wow. a that's not a no, real example, ale. No. Mm, yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so so in Old English, it was two words before it was contracted into a compound word. And then when the Normans came in and added a bunch of words and such to English, they looked at this compound word bridal with the Latin looking and AL ending and thought it looked like an adjective. So it became sure. one.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, I would have done the same thing. I don't blame them. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> fascinating.
0: Like, I was going to guess That's that it was like a back formation thing, but it's like they just took it wholesale. <laughs>
1: they did and and you know like it does happen that that ending does end up on germanic words like the word betrothal is actually that ending on a germanic word so you could argue that bridal may have ultimately become an adjective with that ending regardless of whether it was a compound noun from the start sure. but if that were the case, reasonably speaking, we should also have the word groomal.
0: Is groom also from Old English? Yes,
1: it is. Um, it originally described like a young man servant oh. and then transitioned into like my man kind of thing.
2: So groomal, I mean, it isn't used today. So mm-hmm. I, that's interesting to me that like we do use bridal. And it has evolved into an adjective and nobody's ever, bit well, I mean, I guess we don't have groomal parties in general. You know, it's not so, as big of a cultural thing as, as bridal parties. Right?
1: Yeah, we just had to, we had to borrow the the more romance term bachelor party to make that <laughs> yeah, right. into a thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, and a couple more <laughs> lies for you yeah, while nice. we have the time. This one's nicely mind blowing. The word Ooh. escalate did not exist until the invention of the escalator
2: that's impossible no that's a lie are you lying to us is that what's going on here? <laughs>
1: i i wish i wish i were but the other the other twist on this the word escalade you know the cadillac is very very yeah. old like much older than the car oh
2: crazy
0: mm-hmm. language is insane yeah <laughs>
2: impossible so,
1: escalator was coined in the 1890s and the verb escalate isn't recorded until the 1920s as a back formation of escalator Wow. Sure. However, the word escalade, as far back as the 1590s, meant to climb. And in English, it first appears in the context of using ladders to climb the walls of a fortified structure. And it's related to the word scale, as in like scaling a cliff or scaling a wall. And it comes from an Italian word meaning basically ladder.
2: Sure. It's really interesting. Yeah. Isn't
1: it? You know, and, and the way that that word completely left our language and then has been replaced almost entirely by escalate.
0: What about escalate like a conversation escalates or a situation escalates? Did that come later? Then yes, 20s? that also
1: came later. So the earliest ver- like working version of what we now call an escalator was patented in eighteen ninety two by Jesse W. Reno and then introduced at Coney Island as like a novelty ride called the Endless Conveyor Elevator because escalator didn't exist yet.
2: I do wow. love the idea of paying a ticket to right? go just <laughs> an escalator. escalator. <laughs>
1: Look up the picture of it. It is literally just like, (laughs) go up the stairs. So funny. And I think it it had like a hand crank on it too. It was was a little more. uh, I'm sure that was quickly replaced by a motor. Sure. But uh, in the meantime, George H. Wheeler patented a moving stairway. And then Charles D. Seaburger, who bought Wheeler's patent, was the one to coin the term escalator when he trademarked it in 1898 by combining the word escalade with elevator.
2: It's a portmanteau. That Mm -hmm. makes so much Mm -hmm. sense
1: wild and a proprietary eponym or like a genericized trademark too sure
2: oh gosh Mm -hmm. yeah
1: so speaking of elevators the word elevator is also probably a lot older than you think like the 1600s and uh, at the time it meant a person or a muscle that lifts other things and then it was extended to grain elevators in the 1700s
2: like those people who carry um like kings and queens on I guess Palantines. people carry the royal elevator. Yeah, I
1: love it. And although escalate is a back formation of escalator, elevate is not a back formation of elevator. It predates elevator by about a century. But elevate right. might be a back formation of elevation, which is recorded like another century earlier. And in fact, a lot of like Latin derived nouns that end in T I O N were adopted into English from French and then back-formed into verbs, that happens a lot.
0: Back-formation is one of my favorite things in linguistics because it's just, like, it's just humans and their little brains at work. Like, well, (laughs) you know, if we have a burglar, then we must have the verb to burgle. Like, it makes sense, you guys. (laughs) Why
1: not? (laughs) I've heard that, like, one one of the reasons we do this is because, generally speaking, in, like, common speech and writing we need nouns before we need verbs for them so like we need a word for the guy who's coming in holy shit before we need the word for the thing he was doing you know
0: i just love that like like humans just need to have all this logic they're like (laughs) we need to have a verb to go with this noun
1: (laughs) amazing i do have one more lie all right i'm ready lay it on us the word hello Is younger than as a standard greeting is a younger than the Bell telephone.
0: Younger than the
1: Bell telephone. What? In fact, it was created because of the Bell telephone. It appeared a little bit before that in a couple of records from the 1820s and 30s, but it wasn't commonly used and it didn't. It wasn't a standard like "Hey, how you doing?" kind of greeting. The earliest records had it as like a way if you were there was like a Davy Crockett story, for example, where if you were approaching a remote property, you would be like "Hello, a house," and it would be to be like, I am not, I'm not a danger. I'm coming near your house. Right. And in that case, it's a variation of earlier, but more common words like hollow and hallow, which were also like far off greetings, like, hello, we are here, you know, kind of thing like that. But not many recorded with the H E L L O spelling. And they were always from afar. It probably comes from a word meaning like to to fetch or something like hollering and things like that. In fact, uh, there there were a couple variations with hello, like hullo, um, I in like H U L L O feel like I've seen that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I th- I think when we were talking about the chase, I came across some like variations. I I don't even, even know if it started with h, but I was like, wow, this is just a weird way to to yell things at people. <laughs> I really came across a lot of weird ways to yell at people in that, but. <laughs> Go on. <laughs>
1: that one in particular appears in Oliver yeah. Twist, which was immensely popular at the time, and so may have also encouraged the use of variations like "hello" in the the next few decades as the uh, the phone was was more popularized. Initially, Alexander Graham Bell proposed using the word "ahoy" as a telephone greeting. Once yes. again, something you use to hail love people that. from afar. Which yes. I love, love that, that. <laughs> and I'm so mad that Thomas Edison ruined <laughs> it by. It's always Edison's fault. Uh huh. It's always Thomas Edison's fault. Yeah, truly. And he suggested the word "hello" instead when talking to a guy who introduced telephones in Pittsburgh because that was a a big hub for that kind of technology at the time. And it became the term became so deeply associated with telephones that call operators in the 1800s were called
2: "hello girls." Wow. Oh. Do I mean? Do we know why the vowel changed? Was that just like a like the way people spoke? Hallow or hollow or hollow?
1: Actually, some historians have posited that Edison's spelling was based on a mishearing of the term "hollow." So, so again, funny. everything is Edison's fault. It's
2: all you know. It's funny you know he's using the telephone. He might as well hear things correctly. Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I I am glad, though, Chips Ahoy wouldn't be the same company if it were Chips Hello. So that is one thing that we did get out of this.
1: Now I want to start like a competing business called Chips Hello.
2: Chips Hello. Hello. Who knows what they'll sell? It's just (laughs) chips with cookie pieces in it.
1: Yep, that's it. Yeah.
2: So, Jess, I I think it's safe to assume, based on our conversation today, that some or even all of these adventures into the crooked world of words might have something to do with your upcoming book, Words from Hell. Am I correct about that? Am I off the mark? Am I fast- I can't remember the word
1: (laughs) (laughs) you are right on on the money many of these words not all of them will appear in words from hell and you have now heard the most comprehensive preview of anyone so far of the contents of that book there will be a couple of the ones that I mentioned like hello the the less naughty ones will appear in the following book which is going to be called useless etymology
0: Wow. Love that. We're getting some exclusive drops right now. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, that's fantastic. (laughs) And so, I mean, we talked about it earlier, you know, how about some of those adventures came from Once Upon a Word. Was there any other like further inspiration for creating Words from Hell specifically?
1: So I had been, I think I mentioned I was on a podcast and the producer of the podcast worked for Hachette and she was like, have you ever considered writing a book? And I was like, as a matter of fact, I have (laughs) two book proposals proposals and one of them happened to be mostly made of outtakes from Once Upon a Word that my my editor simply said that I could not include. (laughs) Not that I wanted to include the fascinum anywhere, um, (laughs) but I definitely wanted to include, like, I I think I had words for like decimate, which as you probably know, involves like a horrible Roman practice of killing 10% of your soldiers in order to just normal
2: everyday. things. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The, the beatings (laughs) will continue until morale improves (laughs) sort of things. So I have, I have a, a chapter on war and I have a chapter on sex and I have a chapter on, on things that have are secretly naughty and, uh, things that are not so secretly naughty.
2: Do you have, by any chance, a publication
1: day for either of these? Please keep an eye out. I don't have an exact publication date. I hadn't been, I wasn't clear on that with my publisher, though I did find a listing for it that I was unaware of, uh, like a pre-order link on Amazon earlier today, which said September 5th. Don't hold me to that because I don't know whether that's true. (laughs) So...
2: (laughs) We won't hold you to that, I promise.
0: (laughs) But but maybe fall time, end of the year, something like that. Yes, I'm hoping.
1: I was hoping for a a Halloween-centric release because it's like nicely naughty, and there is yes, yeah, and there's a chapter on like monsters and mayhem and all kinds of fun things like
2: that. Jess, all of this sounds like so much fun. Hopefully, we can aim to do an episode about some of your new information when it comes out. Some of your new books.
0: Yes, the people will hear our excitement for sure. Yes. (laughs) I love it. I'll bring the monsters next time. Hell yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Ah, that sounds like a great idea. But you know what else is a great idea? And something we can do this time right now is a game. (gasps) A game. I love games. Yes. And believe it or not, I have one that Seth prepared for me. (laughs) So Jess, would you like to play a game with Kyle and myself?
1: I would love to. It sounds delightfully sinister.
0: (laughs) So one of the things Kyle mentioned loving about Once Upon a Word is that early section of the book that breaks down word roots and prefixes and suffixes in a way that offers readers a chance to create totally new words or neologisms. Um, and listeners can go back to Skoragami for a bit on neologisms. But what I've got for you here today is a game called Build a Word. Amazing. Yes. And how Get this game works a little heart in it. Oh Yeah, I get to put, you get, yep, whisper your secrets yes, you and put whisper the your little... secrets. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Did they do that? I don't know. Yeah. The way this game works is I'm going to give you the definition of some words that Seth has made up, and you're going to try to guess what those words are by building the different parts of it Hmm. but there's a catch as i said seth made these words up they don't exist they're not real words so using the roots and prefixes and suffixes from the first part of once upon a word you guys can go head to head to try to build a word based on the definition that i give you i love this and they don't have to be you know spot on but the first one to come up with a word that is linguistically sound wins
2: (laughs) right i can't i so i can't just make something up And it'll work.
0: I mean, you can. And then argue that it'll work.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. I would argue that you could actually do that because like discombobulate is one of several words that were made up in like the 18th and 19th centuries by intellectual types who would make a game out of compiling Latin prefixes, suffixes, and roots. So like discombobulated, yeah. another one is obflisticate, uh, bloviate, absquatulate. Those are all just made up words. So like for do what sure. your heart tells you.
2: Love that, Jess. Thank you for those words of wisdom. I feel empowered <laughs>
0: now. Yes. <laughs> you're both going to do great. <laughs> Jess might do better, but you're both going to do great. Yeah, watch! I'll just completely embarrass myself. that would be great. <laughs> so I've got three words here, and then we'll do a little bonus round.
2: And I can I can do this on book, right? You can do this
0: open book, Kyle. Okay. I, just I to, might do this open
1: book too. That's the idea.
0: Yes. Lo- you wrote a lot of stuff, Jess. We, I wouldn't hold you to have it memorized. <laughs> 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 All right. So the first word that I've got here is a government by people with their feet in their mouths. <laughs> Oh my god, I love oh, it. Oh
2: wow. Oh wow. Okay. So
0: what could be a word for that kind of government? Oh, god, I know what two of the components are, but I'm trying to yeah. remember one of them. If it helps, Seth wrote here, feet in their mouths or teeth. Or oh, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> Kyle gave me a look that said that did not help. <laughs> no, it made it
2: worse.
0: <laughs> um, all
1: right. I think I I think I have a suggestion.
0: You have a submission? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, they would got, have uh, to be teeth, though. Yeah, that's all right, fair. all right.
1: I, um, I would go with the dento That's pretty good.
2: Th- I that's a lot better than what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> what were you thinking, Kyle? I was like, all right, um, pe- pe-
0: dentocracy. <laughs> hey, that's
1: not bad though. You got the elements.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's true. You got it. I think we're gonna give this point to Jess because she was yes. quicker on the draw, and it felt what pretty- was.
1: What was the word he actually came up with? The word that
0: Seth came up with was pedantarky. Pedantarchy, Darky. Right. Yeah. Oh. Just flipped it from what how you had it. The next one I've got here is having the power to ruin everything you touch. Ooh, okay. Oh. This is a little tougher. We're a little creative with the uh, word meanings here. I feel yeah. like that
2: could just be a person's name, like, you know, like <laughs> Carl. Kyle. <laughs> Hey kyle yeah. Let's see. yeah i'm
0: actually gonna have to check the
1: references on this one
2: it's like a reverse king midas
0: it could also be uh like to terrorize everything you touch or okay you know, all right so i have i have a helpful.
1: suggestion but terrorize might be a little bit different let's see so what i came up with that uh, was dina a little clunkier than my last one wow
0: but
2: a great word I I mean, incre- I feel like that I've heard that used on the streets. That's how good it is. <laughs>
1: it's, uh, it, it literally means like power hand destruction. Power, so and uh, power yeah. hand ruin. It's like a it's like a <laughs> Power
2: Rangers villain. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seth went with Tyrannodactyly. So of I course. think like terrorizing by touch.
1: Yeah, I like right. that. It's, it's kind of like Tyrannus. Tyrannosaurus finger ruin, you know,
0: which is also a power Rangers (laughs) villain. Yeah,
1: Um, fun fact too the the word date, as in like the fruit, is also related to that dactyl root. So, um, it's like eating eating little fingers and toes and whatnot. Oh,
0: all right, last one. This one, this one, I feel like it's a little easier to get to. Okay, when you forget someone's name, a word for that event. Okay, ooh. No, I'm in the wrong. This is section. so intense. Okay, this I think like, I have this one. Oh, feels like the Scripps National Spelling this Bee. Is I'm so like hard. looking at. <laughs>
1: yeah. I'm going to go with uh Ooh,
0: Oh, that's so much better than what Seth
2: has. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Seth. It must be. <laughs> Kyle, what did you have? I didn't have anything. Oh. <laughs> I had um ac acronomic- See, I don't Ooh, know. <laughs> using, using like an
1: acronym, yeah, that's very smart. But NIM sure, would be yeah. the word, and then yeah,
2: would you say no, "nomnesia"?
1: Nomnesia. So like the nominesia. "nomen" would be Latin name, and then tacking kind of portmanteauing "amnesia" onto it.
0: Yeah, that's really good. I mean, what? Seth did the same thing, but backwards. He did "amnanimens." "Amnanimens" sounds like um,
2: a, a pill you might take if you forget people's names. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Ask your doctor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, great. I hate to say, it, Kyle, you're behind so far. What? <laughs> no, I mean, l-
2: listen to all the good answers I have that we're going to put in <laughs> post-production.
1: <laughs> I just... recall you getting a point earlier in the show for something else. I, thank so. you. That's true. Yeah. Thank That's you, true.
0: Jess. She's looking out for me. You so know, it's thank one you. to three. Yeah. <laughs> But I've got a quick little bonus round that we're going to do super quick, I swear. Excellent. But now I'm going to turn the tables and break the rules a little bit. So everybody hold on to your butts. Oh, no. So we've talked in previous, (laughs) Kyle and I have talked in previous episodes about portmanteaus, which again, you can check out Scorigami for more on those. They're super fun. But those are words put together to make new words. And so what I'm going to do now is give you three portmanteaus that Seth has made up again. And the first to guess what they mean gets a point.
1: do, okay. do you know who coined the term portmanteau in terms of like the way we use it now?
0: Lewis Carroll.
1: Yes, excellent. Okay, I'm so glad. <laughs> We talked
0: about it. It was I great. It. <laughs> we talked about all the uh, words in the Jabberwock too. Oh, perfect. It was so fun.
2: But none of those are going to be here today is what you're saying.
0: No, none of those. These are new ones that Seth has made up. Okay. Excellent, excellent. So your first word is morning great or morning great.
2: Oh, you emphasize the ingrate there. I did. Is that somebody who hates mornings?
0: You got it, Kyle. Oh, amazing. That's so good. (laughs) Yeah, that is someone who hates waking up early. Perfect. I love it. (laughs) Amazing. All right. Next one is bumper mental. Someone who
1: is temperamental about bumping into things.
0: (laughs) Sort of in a specific context, as in like the bumper of a car.
1: Oh, okay. So like you have road rage.
0: Yeah. More or less. Seth has written the state of tailgating a slow driver out of Mm, spite. I like that. That's so
2: good. I, mm-hmm. We need a word
0: for that. Yeah, that's
1: that's that's now a word. We've we've done it. It there is
0: done. mental. Spread it. Hashtag bumpermental. Coined Hashtag. by Seth
1: Glixman in two thousand twenty-three.
0: <laughs> that's right. I like how you had to check the year. Yeah, I for that did. That was like, what the year is it? <laughs> yeah. No one pays me to count. It's true. <laughs> uh, and last one, very apt for today, is a podcast away.
2: A volleyball on a podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well done, Um, Wilson. Someone who is stranded on a podcast. Someone who is removed from a podcast and therefore stranded in the ether of non-podcasts.
2: Someone who only exists in a podcast.
0: Well, what Seth has written here is a person of significant clout guesting on a startup podcast Aww. or Jess Zepharis. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So good. I'm honored.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm delighted to be the podcast away of the day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Amazing. Well, thanks, you guys, for playing. I think, mm-hmm. I think, you actually, Kyle, you tied it up.
2: No, wait, were the bonus round points worth more? Was it like a... You did because you got the point earlier. Oh, we are oh, yeah. that. I mean, that's great news to me. I,
0: I, the, the loss is a little less harsh, you know? It's the,
1: the deus ex machina of the show.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but thank you, Jess, for joining us today as our podcast away on Butter No Parsnips. We did a little bit at the start, but Jess, can you tell people where they can find all your stuff?
1: Oh, by all means. First of all, I'm very delighted to be here. So thank you so much. Please follow me at Jess on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. Check out my blog, uselessetymology.com. Buy my book, Once Upon a Word. And then look out later this year for Words from Hell.
2: Yes. I mean, Once Upon a Word, incredible, perfect book for getting your kids interested in word etymologies. So definitely go out there, pick up a copy today, make up your own words like we did. And mm-hmm. we're going to be keeping an eye out for Words from Hell. And uh, maybe we can have you back for that too.
0: Yeah. Amazing and as for us remember you can find butternut parsnips on social on Social Facebook <laughs> and Instagram at Butter no Parsnips Podcast. If you like today's episode, consider giving us a five-star rating or review wherever you heard us. It's a it's a new year, new us. And we're trying to do more cool stuff like having guests like Jess and other cool things. And your feedback really helps let us know if we're doing a good job on that.
2: Yeah, and if
0: you are a fan of the job
2: that we're doing now and want even more of it, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash butternoparsnips donating $10 a month grants you access to our after hours podcast buttered parsnips where this month you get the unfiltered response to the american dialect society's word of the year for 2022 thank you so much to our Patreons. it's gonna be lots of fun uh (laughs) be there uh thank you so much to our patreon supporters and with that i've been kyle imperator
0: i've been emily moyers and you've been
2: jessa ferris Thank you again so much, Jess, for joining us tonight. And thank you out there for listening. And No Parsons will be back next week. See you then. Thank you for listening to Butternut Parsnips. Butternut Parsnips is produced by Seth Glixman, Emily Moyers, and Kyle Imperator. The theme music and additional music is by Kyle Imperator. If you liked listening to this episode, subscribe, and give us a good rating and or positive review wherever you heard it. If you really liked listening, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash butternutparsnips. There you can get bonus content you can't get anywhere else, like the monthly Patreon-exclusive podcast Buttered Parsnips. Your support means the world to us and encourages us to keep making more. Thanks in advance, and we'll be back next week.